right, we are going to kick on with a very famous story uh, from history. I want you to come with me. Sorry, James, I'll get back on stage in a second. This makes James a bit nervous trying to follow me around the stage because I, like I like to wander around the place. Before we get into our Bible reading today from Philippians, I want to take you back some 400 years as a bit of a, bit of a precursor to this story to sort of set the scene because I think we're into another one of these times right now in the West in 2022. Come with me back 400 years to the year 1519, just over 400 years ago, the year 1519. In fact, the 21st of April, 1519, a very famous episode in history. The world is changing radically. If you're history buffs, you'll know sort of what's been going on in the world at this point in history. The new world had just opened up. Christopher Columbus had sailed the blue in 1492 and discovered the New World, discovered the Americas. And the Spanish were quickly trying to colonize this new world. They'd already made a couple of failed attempts to establish a colony in what is today Mexico. They had tried and and they had failed. And back in the old world, back in Europe, of course, The Protestant Reformation was underway. It had been kicked off just two years earlier by Martin Luther, the great reformer. He had nailed his famous 95 theses or statements to the the door of the Wittenberg Castle Chapel and sparked a a tremendous revolution within Europe and and it set things ablaze. All sorts of drama was unfolding. The Reformation was burning away. Meanwhile, the new world, the Americas, is is opening up. And by this stage, as I said, the Spanish had been trying to sort of establish colonies for quite some time now. But by this stage now, a Spanish explorer or a, a conqueror or a conquistador by the name of Hernan Cortes had brought with him some 600 men from the old world in 11 ships. And despite being vastly outnumbered by the Aztec forces, Cortes and his men had managed to pretty much conquer the entire Aztec empire. It was an extremely brutal and bloody and in many ways a tragic part of of human history. But despite being vastly outnumbered, Cortes and his men had won a great victory. Montezuma, the Aztec king, was now dead, and the Spanish had just completely blown through the Aztec empire. But now, his men were tired. (laughs) They'd been doing this for a couple of years now. They'd grown weary. They'd grown scared. And now they sailed into Vera Cruz Harbour on the 21st of April, 1519. And they'd started to dream of the old world. They'd started to dream of what they'd left behind. They started to dream of what was familiar. They started to think of turning back, returning home, forgetting this and and, and going back to what was familiar, to what was known. So what has become legendary in the annals of leadership theory in one of the most bold and courageous and perhaps foolhardy acts of of leadership. As soon as Cortes had unloaded all of his men and all of his provisions in Vera Cruz, he ordered that all 11 of his ships be destroyed. 
Hence the phrase, burn the ships, has ever since become synonymous with making an irreversible decision to press forward, to move on. Truth be told, Cortez probably didn't order the phrase, burn the ships. It's probably been lost in translation to our modern English. He probably ordered them broken, that is, stripped of all of their rigging and supplies and the timbers stripped from the hulls in order to, to make uh, shelter for the troops. But the phrase, burn the ships, has stuck in folklore ever since. Cortez wrote about it himself. He wrote on to say, this was his way of telling his men, we are all in. There is to be no turning back. Their only possibility of retreat was now destroyed. From that point on, they knew that there could be no turning back. Their only option was to go forward, to overcome or to die. The ability to retreat to their precious way of life, to their familiar way of life, had been removed. Their safety net was gone. The old world, their old life, the old ways of doing things were no longer an option for these men. Thus, to burn the ships means that there'll be no turning back to old habits and old ways. It means you are no longer tempted to go back to what you know and to what is comfortable. Retreat is easy when there is the option to do so. I think we all cling to some sort of escape hatch. We all cling to some sort of, some sort of, uh, sort of plan B. But just in case, in Cortez's case, it would have been easy for him to just maybe keep a ship or two for just in case, to keep a, a little escape option for just in case things went, went pear-shaped. But Cortez was on a mission, and he knew that the only way to keep himself and his men focused and driven was to take the option of retreat off the table. What Cortez did that day was to force his men to either succeed or to die. Church, I believe this is where we're at in 2022, isn't it? I think this is a situation that the church is facing today. We are living in a rapidly changing world, a rapidly changing environment. I mean, even before COVID, the world had been rapidly changing, hadn't it? And now we come emerge, we're emerging out of two years of relative hibernation. And it's clear that the goalposts have shifted. Our mission field has changed. We are now most definitely in what's called a post-Christian era. Most Aussies are at best indifferent towards church, if not outright hostile or anti-towards church. Right around the world, the, West, the, the Western world at least, church is facing seismic changes as it moves out of the comfortable known Christendom era and into an era where not everyone anymore just accepts Western Judeo-Christian values. In fact, many key opinion makers and indeed many legislators are now openly hostile to the church and are keen to silence us or to sideline us from public discussion. The days of simply hanging out our shingle and saying, hello everybody, we're church, come on in. Those days are behind us. We now need to think differently about how to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. The generation that gets it when it comes to doing church, to being and doing church, is now on its way to glory. They have done well, but the generation that is now following them, my generation and indeed the generation coming up behind me, never experienced church in the first place. We never went to church. I Look, I'm turning, I turned 48 
uh, just yesterday, and my generation never went to church. I was one of only a handful, maybe only a few kids in my, in my school who, who went to church. I wonder what it's like for, for my kids. We are different. We are strange. Aussies, my generation younger, don't understand church. They're not necessarily just going to rock up. They have no loyalty or fidelity simply to an, an institution. The game has changed. Now, if that all seems a little bit melodramatic and scary for you this morning, I do have some good news. The good news this morning is that this is hardly the first time this has happened to the church. This is not the first time the church has been in this situation. This is hardly the worst situation the church has faced down through the millennia. The church has always had to reinvent itself in every era, in every age, in every generation. The good news of Jesus Christ is unchanging. Amen? Amen. But we will have to change. We will have to adapt in how we communicate it. And that is my challenge for us today. I've got a Bible reading that talks of this from Philippians uh, chapter 3 up on the screen here. This is Paul writing. He says, though, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. What does he consider them? Garbage. Strong word. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider how to press forward, as we consider how we might be able to forget what is behind and strain on, press on to what is ahead, Father, we pray that you might be revealing yourself to us in this challenging time, this challenging era, Heavenly Father. We pray that we might learn from those who have gone on ahead of us. We pray that we might be able to learn from Paul and his situation. We pray that you might be bringing to mind those things where we need to indeed burn the ships, where we need to turn our back on old ways to embrace the new. Heavenly Father, we also pray for discerning to know, to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Heavenly Father, we do pray that we might hold fast the gospel to the good news of Jesus Christ as we seek new ways of communicating it to a new generation. We pray that my words might be your words, Father. We pray that I might become less and that you might become more in everything that is said and everything that is heard today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So in our reading today, Paul says that he forgets what is behind and presses on to what is ahead, towards the goal that he's being called heavenward to. Now, it is important to have a look at the context here. That's why I showed the kids my resume before. If you have a look in context, if you have a look at the first part of chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul lists his resume for us. He goes through and tells everything that he's got to be proud of from a worldly perspective. And indeed, he does have a lot to be proud of. You see, Paul is a Jew among Jews, a Pharisee among Pharisees. So in verse, you won't, be, uh, you won't see it there on the screen, so that's your homework. But from verses 1 through to 6, he lists his resume for us. He says he's from the tribe of Benjamin, which means he's a blue blood. He's got a good family. He's a good Jew. He said he was circumcised on the eighth day like all good Jewish boys were. His, his um, peerage is indeed peerless. Uh, He's done everything right. He's a Pharisee. He's top of his class in everything. He's got a resume longer than anybody else. He's done everything right. But then his world is turned upside down by Jesus. Paul encounters the risen Christ famously on the road to Damascus, and his resume is torn to pieces. Like I said with the kids, he considers it all garbage. He describes all of that stuff, all of his degrees as lost by comparison in verse 7, today's reading. He describes all his worldly qualifications as garbage, as refuse. He dismisses them as as garbage that he can jettison in order to gain Christ, he says in verse 8. He wants to be found in Christ. If you study Paul, you'll see this phrase pops up again and again. Be on the lookout for it, that you might be in Christ. He wants to be in Christ more than he wants any earthly glory or esteem or letters after his name. He says that he knows his righteousness doesn't come from his own. He has nothing of his own doing, but it all comes from God on the basis of his faith in verse 9. And the real challenge to myself, and I suspect, friend, the real challenge to you when it comes to burning the ships uh, of our earthly prestige, Paul even goes so far as saying that he wants to know Christ by participating in his sufferings and death. He says that in verse 10, because he knows that his death will will lead to his resurrection and to abundant life. Friend, does that describe you? Can you say with integrity that you consider worldly glory and acclaim as garbage, as refuse compared to your desire to share in Christ's death and therefore his resurrection? quite a challenge, I think. It's quite a challenge for we comfortable, wealthy Westerners. Certainly for comfortable, wealthy ministers like myself who get paid a comfortable stipend. My stipend comes in every week. It's set by the synod. You don't get any say in what it is. In order to call a minister, you have to provide them with a nice, comfortable home that you've certainly done. It's easy in many ways to be a minister these days. For Paul, it was, even, it was a huge challenge, however. And I want to let you know this morning that my testimony is that to consider all of that stuff garbage and refuse compared to the glory of being in Christ and knowing his death and thereby his resurrection is the only life that's worth living. Amen? It seems, if all this seems a little bit scary for you, a little bit out of your reach. Peter, I could never think like that. I could never really jettison all of my earthly stuff and look towards dying in order to be raised again. Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. 
And because Paul himself goes on in verse 12 to confess that, well, he hasn't, he hasn't arrived either. He hasn't, he hasn't got there. He, he's not all that in the packet of crisps. He knows, he tells us he's a work in progress as well. Indeed, Paul imagines his entire life as a kind of marathon. Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he imagines himself as a runner running in the ancient Olympics, a runner that's straining on towards the finish line of his life. So he knows he's on a journey like everybody else. He trusts that the glory of crossing that finishing line for Christ will be worth all the pain and all the worldly loss that he's been encountering. And here in verse 13 in today's reading, he says, forgetting what lies behind, I'm straining on, pressing on to what lies ahead. I press on towards the prize, the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what I want to draw your attention to this morning is that this word, this Greek word that we translate as pressing on, when he says he's pressing on, it actually has a connotation in the original Greek of a chase, of a pursuit. If they were to make a movie out of this, it would be called a hot pursuit, right? Even a hunting down. It's got that, that connotation of a, of a hunter or of someone chasing down some game or some, some prey. Paul is chasing after Christ. He's hunting after Christ. Friend, are you chasing after Christ? Are you in hot pursuit of Jesus? If you know his story, you'll know that Paul has been hunting after Jesus for quite a long time. But at the start, his hunt was a very different kind of a hunt. He was hunting down Christians and trying to exterminate them. He was a hunter and persecutor of the church. He was on safari to bag Christians and to haul them off to jail for their wrong-headed thinking. During that stage of his life, Paul was running hard, but he was running towards a very different prize. He wanted to be a religious success, a worldly success. He trained hard, got all of his fancy degrees, and by worldly terms, he, was, he succeeded. He, he'd arrived. But when he famously met Jesus on that road to Damascus, Paul realized that he'd been running for the wrong prize. He'd been running in the wrong direction. He was like a man driving down a highway. I heard this description of Paul in his early life, a modern analogy, like a man driving home down the freeway after a hard day's work, only to receive a frantic phone call from his wife. Darling, look out, I heard on the radio there's a madman driving the wrong way down your freeway. Look out. And he responds by saying, tell me about it, darling. There's not just one, there's hundreds and they're all coming towards me. Matt Eamons was on board to win the gold medal in the 2004 Athens Olympics. He was a shooter. He was competing in the three-position rifle event, the 50-meter three-position rifle event. He didn't even need a bullseye to win gold. His final shot merely needed to be roughly on target. And normally the shot that he would made would have received a total of around about 8.1, more than enough to secure the gold medal for him. But in what is described as an extremely rare mistake in elite competition, Eamon stood and fired at the wrong target. Standing in lane two, he aimed at the target in lane three. His score for a really good shot at the wrong target? Zero. It doesn't matter how accurate you are, friend, if you're aiming for the wrong goal. 
And I reckon so many Aussies, so many of God's precious children, and perhaps even some in his church, have been aiming at the wrong goal. We've been aiming for a comfortable life. And we, many of us have indeed hit the bullseye. But there'll be no medal. Only a crushing realisation that they've wasted their life. I reckon many people, perhaps even many of us in the church, will be incredibly ashamed on that day of the selfish way that we've spent our lives. Paul now had a new prize that he was running and chasing down, hunting after. He says he wants to know Christ. He had a new focus, a new goal, a new purpose in life, like a marathon runner wanting to be more like Jesus. None of the old status symbols or scoring systems or worldly glory glory mattered anymore. It wasn't that the old things were necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's just that the surpassing glory of knowing Christ were worth so much more than what he was able to put on his resume. Paul discovered that truly knowing Jesus doesn't rob us of fun or make us miss out on life. Rather, it, it, it actually means life to the full. Better than anything we can imagine. It is the pearl of great price worth getting rid of everything else to grab hold of for yourself. Running towards Jesus doesn't make us anything less than who we are. It makes us everything who we were designed and called to be. C.S. Lewis has a great quote when it comes to this way of thinking. C.S. Lewis says, We human beings are far too easily pleased, he said. He said, We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it means to have a holiday by the sea. Once you've been to the ocean, can you ever be satisfied with playing in a mud puddle again. But apart from aiming for the wrong goal, there's something more about what Paul is describing here in where, what he's running towards. It's how he runs. He's now running in a different manner. In the book Born to Run, uh, the author Christopher McDougall argues that we've been running in the wrong way, literally, as followers of Jesus. We view running as simply a means to an end. He's talking about physical, literal runners and their physical action. He turns out we've been running in, in an incorrect way with all of our fancy, padded, modern running shoes. He tells of a time uh, of a study of the Tarahumara Indian tribe in Mexico that shows us a better way to run. See, the Tarahumara have honed the ability to run hundreds of miles. They're ultra-marathon runners. Uh, you know, uh, a modern marathon is 26 miles, yes? You know, modern marathons, can, uh, extreme marathons can be up to 100, 100 miles long. Well, these runners uh, compete in ultra-marathon and they're extraordinary in their ability to keep on running and running with great joy. And one time a track coach was called in to starter, study these Tarahumara runners. He was watching them run in an ultra-marathon up mountains. And these Tarahumara runners were tackling one of the most heartbreaking hills on this particular course, yet they were running up the hill laughing. They were churning up the slope like little kids playing a game of footy. He concluded that what makes the Tarahumara special isn't that they've found some special uh, technique. It's simply that they haven't forgotten the joy of running. 
I don't see running simply as a means to an end. It is an end in itself. The joy of running itself is what drives them on. And if you get to know the book of Philippians, you'll see that this is where Paul is at in his pursuit of Christ. It's a joyous letter. Even while he's, well, even while he's in prison, there is a joy. He's running his race with joy, pressing on, straining on to what lies ahead, and he's doing it laughing. He's running in a different direction, but he's actually running in a different way. He's running with the freedom and joy of peace of someone that has nothing left to prove. It's not just another battle that he's got to conquer by gritting his teeth and trying harder. Because there is marathon-like news that has now reached him that God has already conquered for him. He's already gone on ahead before him. He's already won the battle for him. Christ has done for him what he could never have done for himself. He no longer has to justify his existence by his achievements, by running this race through life. Christ's sacrifice for him has justified his own existence. And so the the Atlas-like burden, have you seen those statues of Atlas bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders? There's a picture of Atlas outside 30 Rock in, in New York City bearing the weight of the world. That weight has now been lifted. He can discard that weight because he realizes that now the race ahead of him, no matter how hard it may be, it's not a grind of guilt, but it's a race of grace. He runs now not because others have told him to, because he has to, but because he loves the act of running for Jesus himself. He runs because there's nothing better than knowing the beauty and the love of Christ and letting it flow through you to others. He runs all the way to heaven because Jesus Christ, who is the prize at the end of the race, is also in a way running alongside him as a running partner, going with him stride to stride. So friend, let me ask you this morning, where does your confidence really lie? Where are you running? What direction of the running? And how is your running style? Is it burdensome or is it free? What is it that you're really chasing after? What gets you up in the morning and gets you mobile? What is it? Just have a think. What, when you get up in the morning, what's driving you? Are you clinging to old ways, old destinations? Are you running the right way in the right direction after Jesus, having more of Jesus in your life? And are you running the right way in terms of running with a carefree action, with the, the gait of, uh, of a stress-free, gracious style, knowing that all the work, really, of your own salvation has been done for you? Can I encourage us as a church this morning? To forget what lies behind and to press on to a new day, to burn for ships. I know that many of us here this morning have already made many great memories and shared many wonderful uh, works for Christ over the years. I've been hearing many of them over the past year here at church in the marketplace. Many great stories, many wonderful ministries, many wonderful things have been achieved for the glory of God here in this place by this church family. But friends, today is a new day. We can't rest on our laurels. And frankly, personally, I think resting and reminiscing about past glories is, actually gets pretty boring pretty quickly. I'd actually much rather be, prefer to be making new memories, making new disciples, rather than just 
hanging out with the old ones here in the clubhouse. Amen? So the question I think we've got to ask ourselves this morning is, what are my ships that I need to burn? What am I afraid to let go of, perhaps? What ships do you need to burn in your life? Is it a false sense of obligation to someone or to something? Perhaps it's fear of the unknown. Fear of getting hurt. Fear of being perceived as a failure. I'll leave you with an illustration that I think will, cha- will challenge many of us this morning. One day, the devil gathered all of his demons around him to report back on their work, to see what they had been up to in putting questions of their work of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ here on earth. The first demon reported to his master, Ah, I let loose a group of wild beasts in the desert upon a caravan of Christians, and now their bones are being bleached in the sands of the desert. The devil replied, "Mm, Okay, but what good is that? Now their souls are saved. They are with their Lord. They are out of our reach. The second demon also eagerly replied to his master, well, I drove a terrible wind against a boatload of Christians and they've all perished at sea. The devil replied with irritation, and I repeat myself, what good is that? Now they are dead, they are with their master in glory and they are beyond our reach. The third demon reported, for ten long years, I've tried to get a Christian to slip into a spiritual sleep. And now finally I have succeeded and I have left him thus. The devil praised this demon's efforts and they all celebrated a great victory. The danger for the church in Australia in 2022 is not wild beasts or wild seas, but a spiritual slumber a spiritual malaise. Perhaps the comfort and the confidence of our modern lifestyle is what we need to burn today. So whatever it is for you, burn the ships and run for your life, friends. Find some running partners. Get alongside some running partners. Strain forward for what lies ahead. Keep your eyes on the prize because the race, in in this race, the prize is Jesus himself, and he is worth it. All else is garbage by comparison. Let's run the race that is ahead of us as a church in 2022, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, burning the ships of the past, and moving forward into a glorious future. Amen? I want to leave you this week with something a little bit different. I'm going to play for you a video clip that is indeed called Burn the Ships, and it uses this imagery of Cortez's famous incident from history to challenge his church to move forward, to tackle a new day. It's by King and, for King and Country. It is a well-known contemporary Christian band, uh, Kiwi, and I think an Aussie as well. So this is Burn the Ships. Why don't you allow it to challenge you this morning?
Step into a God of grace, we seek your help this morning to embrace this new day. 
We are so very thankful for all that has gone on before us, for all the many victories that we have won, for the faithful people who have gone on ahead of us, who have sold into our lives. We think of the saints, Father, that have told us about of your love for us, the good news of Jesus Christ, your graciousness towards us. Father, we thank you for the many ways in which we have been able to communicate that to a new generation. Heavenly Father, we pray that you might help us to continue to do so in this new day, in this new era. Help us as a church family, Father, to indeed jettison all that is not of you. Help us to see new ways of reaching out to those who are still lost, those that are yet to know you, Father. Help us to discover new methods in communicating that same message of your love for us through Jesus Christ. Help us to burn the ships, to leave the past and to not look back, straining on, pushing on, pressing on to a glorious new future, to a glorious new challenges, bringing new people out of darkness into light, into a living, breathing faith into a bright and glorious future in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.